Coming up on this episode of Rediscovered. Saturday's The Place on CBS with the magic of Dungeons and Dragons. Followed by the action of Pole Position. It's all Saturday right after Muppet Babies. Welcome to Rediscovered, a podcast dedicated to reviewing TV, movies, and animation from the 80s that we haven't seen since its initial run, or missed us altogether. And now your hosts, Jason and Wyatt. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Rediscovered, where we will be reviewing movies, TV shows, and cartoon series from the 80s. I am one of your hosts, Jason, and with me, as always, in this journey is Wyatt. How are you, sir? Doing well. We, we have fun with all these episodes, these, um, um, what would you call it? We have chapters. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. We have Rediscovered the 80s, but we have chapters within that. We have Rediscovered, right. we have Memory Jogger, uh, Rankum, and I'm sure we'll come up with something cliche later on. Maybe yeah. if we, you know, back to the whatever, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it jogs my memory, it gives me stuff to, to talk about, things that have been, in a way, pent up over the years that we finally get to revisit 30-some years later as an adult, which is kind of the... We'd say it, especially on Agents of Mask, where we, we, we're we looking at things 30-some years later going, wow, how do we find entertainment out of that one episode, especially Panda Power? Jason can <laughs> harp on that one for a while. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just a good example. What did we find interesting about this episode or this whatever? Yeah, and I know we're only two episodes in as well, but I don't know. It's weird trying to watch these cartoons now, especially in the eyes of, you know, how you would have viewed it as a kid versus overanalyzing it now as 40-something-year-olds, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to be critical. And at the same time, if you're not, then it's hard to watch in the eyes of just letting little things go by, you know, like you would as a kid. And, and we'll kind of get into that, I think, a little bit in this cartoon series that we revisited, rediscovered. That was Pole Position. From now on, like your parents were, you are the secret force of Pole Position. They're moving real fast. They're the only ones who Let's can get there on time. Okay, sis. And never too far behind, they're always fighting crime. Stop time, the guys. Ready when you are, Rhodey. In the danger zone. Pretty soon they'll be off on a mission. Hydrofoil mode, Rhodey. Hydrofoil engaged, Dan. One, I don't know. I don't remember too much as far as watching it as a kid, but it was 
one that I obviously remembered mainly for the cars and that uh, intro theme song. What was your experience, I guess, with pole position as a kid, if any? Well, I enjoyed it because I always, uh, I guess everything always simulated or banked off of kit. So I saw these, this pole position as two cars that were somewhat like kit, except that they actually had a face on the monitor, but that was all that it was. It wasn't a huge dashboard of buttons like kit did. It was all contained in one box and it was all voice controlled, which I thought was actually for a cartoon, it was more revolutionary that they thought that through to make it just a straight voice command versus turbo boost and eject and whatever else on kit. And, you know, you had 1,000 buttons, I swear, to <laughs> keep the car going. But kit was voice command, too. You know, hey, do this. And it would do it. He didn't have to push buttons. But here we are, adults overanalyzing <laughs> once again. But, uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was cool. I liked both cars. I think I... I likened Rody a little bit more just because he was the futuristic style, I'll call it car. But both were cool. I like the, the reach back, as it were, for the 65 Mustang mm-hmm. they used for road, uh, for wheels. Yeah. So I, it sounds like you didn't have too much of a history with the, the show yourself as a kid. Like I did either. I didn't really, I probably watched it. Uh, and obviously it was only 13 episodes which we'll get into the history here in a little bit, but uh, it's not one that was around. Well, it, it was a little bit in reruns and stuff, but I, I just don't remember, oh, i got to get up and watch Pole Position, you know. I remember getting up to watch it purposely, but I don't remember the details of it. I don't remember much except them changing into different modes, like Hovercraft and Hydrofoil, whatever. That I remembered, and I remember yeah. the boxes. After that, it was all blurs. So uh, <laughs> I, this was all like rediscovered. Hey, yeah, look at that, well, that rediscovered. And that uh, was yeah. that was mainly for me too. I mean, I don't. I, like I said, I remember the cars, remember the theme, and you know, just going through uh, different articles and stuff over the years on Rediscover the '80s. I've come across it a couple times, but really, this was uh, almost like new material for me. Sitting down, I I had totally forgotten you could take the you know, the boxes out of the car and mm-hmm. uh, they were portable and, uh, you know, the, all the different characters on the show and everything. But so this was, uh, this was, this was kind of like watching something new for me. And uh, let's go ahead and get into kind of the development of the show. It was one produced by Deke Entertainment, which uh, there were several uh, under that umbrella of Deke, which was Mask and, Spectre Gadget, uh, I think Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. Heathcliff, uh, I'm trying to remember Cops. off the top of my head. Cops, yes, that's a good one. So, yeah, it was under that uh, kind of umbrella there. And, of course, Pole Position was uh, under license from Namco for the, from the video game. And they, as they're developing the show, you get this popular video game and you slap a name on a cartoon and... They're trying to, you know, essentially build off of that brand, but there was very little in common between the game and the actual, you know, cartoon show, other than maybe the, you know, the cars being red and blue like it was in Pole Position 2, but that's pushing it for uh, similarities, because <laughs> there was really nothing that carried over. It was uh, created and written by Jean Chalopin, I hope I'm getting that right. 
he was also behind Inspector Gadget, Jason the Wheeled Warriors, Heathcliff, and he was also an executive producer of the show and for many others, like Mask, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, and Dennis the Menace. So he had a pretty good pedigree as far as animation and uh, being the, the kind of creative mind behind some of these popular shows of the time. And then you also bring in uh, another developer, Michael Reeves, who was more behind the writing. He wrote one of the episodes, but he was uh, well into the writing for animation. Uh, long list uh, in his career, and he wrote episodes for He-Man and Masters of the Universe, The Real Ghostbusters, The Turtles, Super Friends, Batman the Animated Series in the 90s, and then... The show that he wrote the most episodes for, 63, was The Smurfs. So it's interesting to see how, you know, the kind of mix. There, there's all kinds of ends of the spectrum here as far as animation go and, and the creators behind this. And kind of looking back now, I was trying to think of, well, what show maybe did they, did I liken this to? It was mostly earlier than all of these shows. Yeah. But there's not really one I could say, well, I could see that uh, Pole Position was the grandfather of real Ghostbusters or something. It, there's there's really nothing you can tie it to. I sit here in my brain. I can't think of even comparing my, to my kids' TV shows off of Disney or Nick. I, I can't <laughs> think of one right now. So uh, so that was kind of the development in uh, the creative minds behind the show. Wyatt, why don't you take kind of the broadcast history and, and home video releases? So, yeah, Pole Position ran, like Jason said, for 13 episodes, began on CBS, started in 1984 as part of the Saturday morning lineup where we grabbed our bowl full of cereal and just veg for <laughs> four or five hours in the morning. It later appeared on reruns beginning in 86, followed by a run on the Family Channel, which is now Freeform, mm -hmm. beginning in the late 80s through about the early 90s. It was shown in the UK during the 80s and in the CBBC strand and repeated in the early 90s on Saturday mornings as part of their going live on BBC One. Pretty cool. What I thought was actually interesting me with, you know, being sound and you especially producing as well lately, it won an 85 Daytime Emmy Award for outstanding achievement for their film sound mixing. And I don't think any cartoon that I can recall, maybe now, but back in our childhood, I can't think of like Mass or I can't think of uh, Cops or whatever. I can't think of anyone that had a, a decent mix. And we'll get into that as we get through. We're not going to tear this apart like we do Mass Cast, but right. I'll hint a few things where I was impressed and I, it's like they actually put some effort into this <laughs> series versus, well, hate to dog them, but a couple of the Mask episodes we've had. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we love Mask, but at the same time, consistency was nowhere to be found <laughs> from show to show. Nor was it on Airwolf. That's my thing. And the sound mixing and uh, a lot of those qualities you would expect, you know. And, yeah, that was pretty cool, and I, I can hear it. Uh, well, I'll put it that way. When you watch the show, there is detail with the sound. So they did a great job on that. And Agreed. Obviously, they, the critics thought that as well. But th this show was released to DVD. It was. I need to get me a set. <laughs> I do, too. I have to buy a couple, actually, now. 
<laughs> yeah. But it's been released to Bright Spark Productions, released a four-disc set in 08, containing all 13 episodes of the series on DVD, but in the UK. Mill Creek Entertainment released 10 of the 13 in the U.S. Uh, in a combo pack with 10 episodes of Cops and 10 episodes of Jason the Wheeled Warriors back in 2012. Uh, later that year, Mill Creek released TV Tunes to Go, another basically compilation of cartoons. But at the time, it was owned by Cookie Jar, which now owned by DHX, which with our mask research when we were doing that, we saw it change hands, mm-hmm. and that was before the Hasbro made its little trademark renewal. We were still up in the air, and who actually owned it? We didn't know if Hasbro owned a sliver of mask or what. Sorry, Bunny Trail, but that it, it this fits because it's under Deke, right. and they followed that cookie jar. They followed DHX, but I don't know if they're owned by Hasbro now or not. I would imagine I they probably are, but I don't know. Possible. I don't exactly know who owns the rights to uh, pole position now. But, yeah, like you were saying, Mill Creek released ten of the episodes in a compilation, and then they released this other huge compilation. There was like ten discs in all, and then the other three episodes got kind of thrown into that. So it's weird they haven't done just the, all right, here's the 13 episodes for pole position. I know that ten episode one is fairly affordable, because I've actually had that on my wish list for a while. i just never gone out and, and grabbed it, mainly because I do have the whole Cops series, thanks to you. So I'm like, why do I want to own 10 more episodes of Cops? Uh, I still need luckily, to get it myself, my own set of Cops. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, luckily, these were we found these on YouTube, and uh, we'll give props here to the places we found uh, the actual show. But uh, we're going to go into kind of the synopsis of the show now. Uh, it followed the Derrett family, who was, uh, they were stunt driving crime fighters, I guess, uh, you could say. And, uh, they investigated wrongdoings while operating under the front of a traveling show known as the Pole Position Stunt Show. And it was sponsored by the United States government in order to give cover for their investigative activity, we'll say. Now, the Derrett's, they had two adult children. I guess, uh, I don't know. I don't know how old uh, Tess and Dan were supposed to be in here, but obviously they're old enough to drive. Um, They had a third child, too, who was younger in age. And the story goes, even in the, uh, sort of alluded to in the theme song, there was an accident that the parents died, and then the father's younger brother, who was Uncle Zach in the show, he kind of took charge of the stunt show. And now he's like the liaison for the mystery-solving team. But he said, uh, you know, now that uh, the parents were gone, uh, he kind of was the new parent, you'll say, of Tess and Dan. And they continued on, essentially, in their footsteps, doing the stunt show. But um, the vehicles, they were uh, pretty much the stars of the show, in my opinion. But uh, they had, you know, several numerous... Gadgets, they had uh, hover mode, like hovering uh, jets that could, you know, make them fly or float above the ground. And then they also had the water ski mode so they could go in the water. Um, And then, of course, like we said before, the vehicles themselves, they had computers inside that were portable. And you could kind of plug and play 
It'd be fun. I don't remember anything in the series of uh, them kind of switching in and out. But, no, they uh, didn't. I would. I've pondered if they were interchangeable, <laughs> or if it was one of those where you know, sorry, Dan, you're not going to plug me into wheels. Yeah. No, and that was. I don't know. I kind of thought about that too. At one point, wouldn't it be fun to swap them, and then you could essentially play off that. You know, they being in different bodies or something. But anyway, so there are these modules that uh, can be removed from the computer, and then uh, you've got the, you know, like the computer-drawn faces, that, and they interact with the drivers. But uh, let's go now into the uh, characters from the show. Right, we have and the voice actors. Sarah, who is the she? She's the older sister, basically. Like we said, we think they're adults. They're drawings, they're cartoons, so we have no idea. I would say they're in their mid-twenties, that's a guess, though. Yeah, early mid-twenties is what I would say. And she ends up being the leader of the group who drives wheels, and she is voiced by Lisa Lingram, who was a regular on General Hospital back in 1980. She appeared in Hill Street Blues in 81 and had short appearances in Chips, Joni Loves Chachi, Alice, and The Waltons, which... I've watched a fair amount of Waltons. I can't place her yet, but I'm sure she's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she really hasn't had any other credits, and I looked at her IMDb not too long, well, on the first take of this, <laughs> and she kind of quit. She had a movie. There was a movie she was a part of. I think it was a, like a horror-type mm-hmm. movie, and then that was it. She was done. So. Got out of the business. That happens, too. You know, We talked to uh, like Dirk Benedict when we were – at RetroCon last year and in his panel and how he, he, it wasn't really by choice for him, but that happens sometimes where you're on top of things, you got uh, a career started and boom, you're done. <laughs> Whether well, it's your, some, your choice or out of your hands, you know. Right. Small bunny trail, but some go there because they have, they know that money's there. Get in at the right angle, whatever. They build their career just enough to go to college or get on to that next level uh a couple people come to mind my my favorite girl of course stacy keenan she's now a lawyer really la so i'm like holy cow okay don't arrest me she can really go after me now <laughs> legally uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, what's her name oh uh, girl that played lynn on alf i've been watching alf a lot lately i follow her on twitter quite a bit uh-huh. and she got out of it uh she appeared on on uh Married with Children. Oh, really? one of, yeah, it took me. It, when I saw her, I recognized her, but watching the episodes, I can't place her. Okay. But when you see her, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's, that's her. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so her her career basically petered out towards well, I guess the late eighties, whenever that is, and she's happy. She's I can't remember what she's doing now. I think she's mostly just. Um, a housewife, essentially. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's funny how these careers, following these people, sometimes they just peter out for Hollywood reasons. Some is just because that was their their platform to get the money to do what they really wanted to do. Yeah. Elsewhere. Oh, well, even think of our guy uh, off of Mask, Brendan McCain. Mm-hmm. He's going yeah, to he's, be a lawyer. Yeah. So. He probably is by now since we talked to him last. That's but. true. <laughs> So, that's cool. Uh, anyway, so we got Dan. Sorry, we digressed quite no, a bit. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we got Dan Derrett. He is the uh, hot-headed brother, we'll say, 
who drives Rhodey. He was voiced by David Coburn, who was also the voice of Captain Planet in the early 90s. Actually, for about six years, from 1990 to 96. He was also Captain Nemo in the Space Strikers uh, in 1995. And he had several TV guest roles beginning in 1980 with different strokes uh, up and through actually the present day. So uh, I, I guess he's probably mostly would, would be known for, or if you were going to pull up his IMDb, probably Captain Planet would be right. the first uh, first pick there. But uh, that's cool. We got uh, Captain Planet in this. That's right. <laughs> And I didn't really I, – I watched a little bit of Captain Planet, but, again, that was towards my high school years. I, I kind of got out of animated shows, actually, for a while. But I didn't hear Captain Planet when I'm watching this show. But somebody that may be more into Captain Planet might hear that when they watch Pole Position. Yeah, like you, I didn't watch too much Captain Planet, probably in passing. wasn't done with cartoons because I could watch me some Bugs Bunny any day of the week, well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. yeah, Looney Tunes, <laughs> Pink Panther, yeah, that was yeah, that was always up there. I could watch one of those. All right, and then we're on to uh, Little Daisy. Right, she is the essentially the preteen sister of Dan and Tess. She's voiced by Kalina Kiff. She really is best known in the live action new Leave It to Beaver, which I never watched Leave It to Beaver the first or the second, so <laughs> I don't know much about her. She also appeared in Love, Sydney. Uh, yeah, I think that was a short-run TV show Yeah, as well. I remember watching a little bit of Leave it to Beaver on Nick at Night, but it wasn't one of my favorites. So I didn't this, watch that. I've watched a lot of My Three Sons and uh, Mr. Ed, though, <laughs> on Nick at Night. <laughs> I watched some Mr. Ed, too. Uh, on to the uncle, who was Dr. Zachary Derrick. He is uh, an engineer, and... He runs the pole position operation and is responsible for the development of the vehicles. He was voiced by Jack Angel, who most uh, animated fans will know. He's got a long list of voice credits, yeah. um, several on Voltron, Super Friends, Transformers. He he really got around, and right. he's one of the with, really one of the legends in voice acting. He is with him. I recognize the voice, but I couldn't place it. Until I ran the IMDb, and then it, once I saw Jack Angel, I'm like, oh, it's King Zarkon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, he sounds <laughs> a lot nicer as Uncle Zach. <laughs> it's nice to hear another side of somebody when they're playing somebody really, you know, gruff and yeah, uh, in charge like, <laughs> like Zarkon. Yeah, but it's not as dynamic, reflecting back on Mask, you know, it's not as dynamic because you've got, you know, Brendan McCain, who is Miles Mayhem, but he's also... Alex Sector. So it's not as bad because you see both halves. It's not like he's just strictly the bad guy. And then next series of whatever, he's now the good guy. Right. It's not that dynamic or that that offsided, I guess, is the right way to place it. But, yeah, that brings us up to Kuma, who is the the pet, which is basically a genetic creation. They say, describe him as being a cross between a raccoon and a monkey. I'll yeah, leave that to the creative hands that, that were there. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all you hear is it sound like a monkey, and it's voiced by Marilyn Schreffler. She was a longtime voice actor and did some live action, too. And I've I got to look it up because I don't know her on Airwolf. 
And I'm going back through Airwolf right now. <laughs> she I was just also started on. Uh, so I don't know where she's at. Yeah, she was also on Simon and Simon too, at least for one episode. Mainly guest appearances there, but yeah, I was kind of surprised uh, when I was first going through these credits when you get an animal or a pet, you know, on the show. It's usually Frank Welker. Oh yeah, he's always the uh, the animal guy, and uh, so it was. Uh, it was, I was surprised it was not him for this one. Then we go up to the uh, two cars. We got Wheels. He this is the uh, red and black '65 Mustang. That was driven by Tess, and he was kind of the more, I guess you'll say, the the uh, elder statesman of the two, or he was more careful, he was more uh, calculated, he sometimes says he's getting too old for this, you know, mm-hmm. the cliche there. He's that, that uh, I don't know, Obi-Wan to Rhodey's Luke, you know, <laughs> he's the older guy, uh, but I did like him, and uh, he was voiced by Melvin Franklin, who was actually a member of the singing group The Temptations at That's the time. Cool. Yeah, that was a very distinctive voice. You could tell, you know, very, uh, very low, very bass. You know, with the with how he just normally talked, and uh, I don't know. I thought it fit well with just the overall personality of Wheels. I agree, and most of the interactions, it sounds like he's happy, like he's actually smiling at the mic, you know, like we, uh-huh. we practice as broadcasters. You're supposed to be smiling at the mic when you do promos. It makes a big difference. Right. But it just re- genuinely, it sounds like, except for the worried moments, it sounds like that's what he's doing is smiling at the, essentially at the mic. Mm-hmm. And then we got Rody, which is the, we'll call it the futuristic-looking light blue glassy coupe driven by Dan. Rhodey's computer is very smart and typically tries to keep Dan out of trouble, and he's always correcting him or uh, control it, whatever. And he was voiced by Daryl Hickman. He was a child actor in the 40s, but his only other voice credit that we've been able to find is he was in GoBot's Battle of the Rock Lords, and Jason can speak to that because I don't remember that. I remember GoBot's, not Rock Lord, sorry. Yeah, that was a, actually a, a feature film. I, I think they were going to release it in the theaters, and uh, something happened along the way. Uh, it might have been a Sunbow, and after the whole debacle with Transformers and G.I. Joe, I think they scrapped it and just put it on video. But I don't remember exactly. It's been forever since I watched it, so I'm not sure exactly what characters he played in there. Hmm. But... uh yeah, Rhodey was fun. He was almost like the, you know, where Wheels was probably the prototype of the program. And he's kind of the upgraded version of it, you know. He's the smarter one. He's got seemingly more features than than Wheels, but they both have quite a few and use kind of the same ones, those uh, those handcuff seat belts, I'll call them. Yeah. <laughs> I think they both had that feature. Once they, uh, you know, foiled the bad guys and and took them off to jail, they would throw them in the back seat, and the the automatic seat belts go over them like they're mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're the prisoners. I, I I had to, of course, assimilate it with Knight Rider, and I'm I keep thinking when he has a super pursuit mode, he has a passive laser restraint system that he pushes every <laughs> time he uses super pursuit mode. Yeah, what is that? Laser seat belts. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to our review now of the show. And I found it, there's a couple places on YouTube, but where I watched it was a channel called Wild Brain Dash Cartoon Superheroes. And uh, this channel had a lot of animated shows on there. Uh, some of these that were like, kind of like more obscure, so I might be going back to this channel later to uh, rediscover some other shows. But the uh, the intro and theme was uh, one of the Shuki Levy creations who pretty much, if if you watched it in the 80s or 90s uh, animated shows, it's likely that he did the theme. Levy and Saban, it was usually the team behind a lot of those. And it was pretty uh, pretty dynamic theme. When you when I'm thinking about themes, you know, across the whole scope of like the eighties, it's one that's up there. I d- actually did a uh uh we did a rank 'em on uh animated theme songs I did with uh uh Brian over there at Old School Evil. Didn't quite make my list, but uh it was definitely in contention. And there's been a several versions out there, just like they've done with Mask and a lot of things. There's like a really cool metal version of the theme. From now on, like your parents were. You are the secret force of hope. They're moving real fast, they're the only one who can get there on time. They're never too far behind, they're always fighting. It was one of those things where when I'm going to the next episode, I don't mind listening to it again, you know. I don't know if that's the way you do when some of these, you're watching something, you're binging something on Netflix. Sometimes I'll just, if the option is there to skip past the theme song, I'll do it. But uh, I didn't didn't do it for any of the, all the episodes that I watched for, uh, for Fall Position. No. No, and I watched, I think it's the same channel that I watched it off of, and... Like you, I when when I I hear it more the the theme I don't hear it as much, mm-hmm. but you hear the little in between the episodes or during the episodes you hear the little music. Yes. That's what it keyed in that it's the same people. I didn't really read the credits. I just more busy taking notes and watching the shows, yeah. and then I'm, I'm thinking of episode three or four, and I think I'm hearing the music like that sounds that sounds like mask. Right. And then I finally paid attention to the credits. I'm like. It is. It is, Shuki. <laughs> oh, holy cow. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. It's the same group. It really makes sense. But I'm like, are you kidding me? You're stealing, you're putting the theme, the little, I don't know what you call it, the, the, the scenery themes together, right. mixing them. But, um, well, let's go on to some of our, we're not going to go through episode by episode, no. uh, like we did with the Highwayman. Just for time's sake, but uh, we're just going to go through some of our favorite and least favorite 
things about the show. Let's start with the characters. Which one of your characters, or maybe two, were your favorites in the show? Uh, I know Wheels was probably one of my better characters. I think the card really ended up being the, the better characters for me. I'm I'm the card guy. I like I like seeing the cars of the stars. So I think I like the cars more because I would sit there and of course analyze it. I'd analyze it to see how much they resemble Kit or mm-hmm. not. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, I think. I think Rhodey and Wheels were probably the better characters. Dan was fun. You could see the level head on Tess. To some extent, I guess little little Daisy and Cumia were kind of like I, – I, I simulated them like they were Scott and T-Bob. <laughs> they weren't quite as annoying, but yeah. they, you could tell that they were part of the act to just kind of get a few things going to keep it going. But they weren't – they really weren't needed, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, well, and Kuma was one of my least favorites, just because, again, it, they were there more for laughs. There mm-hmm. was a few episodes where they were kind of integrated into the plot. Well, I'd say more than a few, maybe about half of the episodes. But there's some other times where they're just, I don't know, like they're getting in the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Leave the kids at home. Let's get business done. You know, that kind of a thing. And... Yeah, Kuma, it wasn't really explained, and even I think it was in the maybe the one of the end episodes, and we'll get to some of our favorite and least favorite episodes here too, but I didn't know for the longest time, I didn't really kind of go through the synopsis of the show or anything on the wiki page, but uh, I didn't know what the thing was, what, no. <laughs> what am or anything, and then I think it was might have been the last episode when they meet the guy that essentially created the thing. Mm-hmm. So I, anyway, that really, uh, that again, yeah, you're on the, the right track with the Scott and T-Bob similarity there. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. I can handle them sometimes, but, uh, and I, and again, once they're, when they're part of the plot, it's good. But when they're just there to joke and laugh us out of the episode, it's, you know, more roll my eyes <laughs> stuff than, than really, you know, being part of the show. I did like Tess, uh, probably the most and uh, the two cars like you. Uh, those were probably my favorite characters. Tess just seemed, like you said, she's the level headed one. She's the one that's going to go get stuff done when there's a mission or something where Dan, I don't know, Dan always kind of rubbed me wrong. He was always seeming like really selfish. Yeah, and he always wanted to work on his stunts and be the celebrity more than actually make that the front, whether it's supposed to be. And right. your real job is going after these bad guys. And he seemingly had that kind of flip flopped, where he was more focused on, oh, let me throw some more stunts in the show and wow the fans and get more girls to sign autographs and you know, <laughs> right? I don't know it. He always kind of rubbed me wrong. Where Tess was like, you know, grow up. Let's let's go find this guy. You know that kind of mentality. So I, I kind of liked her the best out of the the main characters. And then yeah, the the cars were just fun. If you're gonna come back and watch the show, you, you're gonna love the cars. I oh think. yeah. So uh, let's go to some of our favorite and uh, least favorite episodes of the thirteen. I'm trying to see where I think episode four ended up being one of my favorites. They had the ice stunts. This is one of the snow episodes, ice episodes. Uh, uh-huh. 
uh, kind of reminded me of my younger days driving in the snow and pulling the e-brake and seeing how much I could do and not crash the car. <laughs> um, I like the uh, bunk bed garage in the truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a bunny trail, but not really in that when we were writing the mass script, this mm-hmm. truck, the trailer system is what I initially had in my head of doing with Rhino. We gotcha. originally wrote it that there would be a basically a, a cool scene where you see Alex jump down in the, we call it the tandem car, the back axles of Rhino, and you see the camera angle, see it shoot out from underneath the truck, come out of the road, and then shoot past Rhino. And the whole idea with the trailer was they didn't have an HQ set up. So the trailer was their makeshift HQ until they got Boulder Hill established. So I had this trailer specifically in my head to do that in the movie. But mm-hmm. I later changed it and removed that trailer altogether because, well, Rhino never had a trailer. So I just removed it. But th- this was in our one of our earlier drafts of the script. So when I watched it again, I saw this bunk bed, I call it, lift style. I, that's exactly what I had envisioned, except I had a I had a miniature car lift in my head that they could jack up you know, Thunderhawk to work underneath so they get him back out on the road. Cool. I do remember that. And just in case you're, you don't follow us over there on MassCast, we ended up writing a movie script for Mask the Movie, which actually might be a reality here soon. Not our script, but somebody else's script. Anyway, yeah. so we had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, I do remember something like that maybe early on when we were writing. And that was a pretty cool trailer because you think about that and i i kind of likened it more towards the like knight rider mm-hmm. trailer and how they well obviously there's only one of them but uh you get the lift in there to be able to put both cars in and then that's your command center for lack of a better word so yeah there was uh, a a few times where that was shown the back of it and opening and getting the cars in and uh, them actually inside it and everything. So. Right, that's what I like. I like. I'm the guy that likes detail, and I like that. Uh, there was an episode. I think it's later on, where their rooms are in that right. first trailer. The car sitting sit. What it appears to be a smaller trailer in the back, kind of like the, I call it the double UPS style trailers you see sometimes on the highway. But the main one was the command center and the living quarters. They pulled the, lack of a better term, a call hauler in the back. Right. But there's more stuff that I liked about this episode. The, the You see the hovercraft rescue scene that they do. You can see that the cars can tow, but uh, there was a scene there where, where did Wheel's roof go? Because he, he seems to be a, a convertible in the winter. And I, <laughs> you can heat blast all you want, but I don't think you're going to get very much. Uh, uh, like Scott, uh, there's a little girl that jumps into a stranger's van to take the car. What was that? Yeah. Uh, uh, I noticed me and my quirks, uh, I noticed when they started up the VW bus, it was a Dodge starter. <laughs> it, it, it sounds exactly like my, my old red truck uh, out here. So I had to, like, that, that's really cool. They put a Dodge starter in this. I like this. Um, there was a lot of stuff. Uh, but in the end, I, I, I liked, I think, just reviewing my notes, I think episode four was my more favorite. I got a, of course, I got a few other tidbits here and there, but four I think was my, okay, probably my best. As far as my least, um, 
Well, let right. me get my worst one marked down here. Okay, well, let me do my best, yeah. and uh, I'll let you uh, scroll there for a little bit. I put two down that was the two top ones for me. The first one was actually the, the introduction to the series, uh, the first episode, The Code. And uh, a little synopsis behind this one is that uh, this agent that's actually part of pole position, Greg Dumont, he poses as kind of a double agent to lure Wheels and Rody to this uh, man who is trying to destroy pole position, in other words. And uh, he wants to get the memory banks of Wheels and Rody. Well, Uncle Zach, he patches into uh, this guy's computer and informs him of the like double-crossing plans and explains it was just a way to get Wheels and Rody into uh, this guy's computer in order to destroy the you know, the whole place. Well, it's, there's this huge buildup and there's a, one of those, uh, getting out in the nick of time moments right at the end before this whole, uh, computer blows up. This guy was going to use to, you know, use Rody and wheels to patch into and get pole position. But this was, I thought a good introduction to the series. You got to see kind of the environment of the, the pole position stunt show and uh, there was a, they did a lot of the good setups for uh, each episode and the uh, transitions and being at the stunt show, that kind of a thing. So it was nice to get a whole vision of the show in that first episode and seeing essentially what they're all about. And it was a pretty, I don't know, high concept episode, I thought, of the series where you have a double agent, you know, infiltrating and trying to snuff out the bad guy. And uh, there was some, uh, this is where uh, Daisy gets kidnapped too, uh, as she's involved in the whole thing. And the, this bad guy is trying to use her as a shield almost. And, uh, you know, kind of leave me alone and, or the girls are going to get it. So there was, there was some of that throughout the series. That's one thing I'll say too, is the series itself. It's very kid friendly, obviously. But there's no, like, guns or lasers, really. There was some peril, cars going off of cliffs and some kidnapping scenes like this where the little girl's kind of in harm's way. But they did it, you know, it's more or less Scooby-Doo style where they there's no real uh, guns or actually people, you know, chance to, you know, death or anything like that. Um, but anyway, that's a little... A bunny trail there, but I did like the first episode and the uh, episode five, the race mm-hmm. was a fun one. That one reminded me of actually one of the Knight Rider episodes where they have that like experimental fuel mm-hmm. race. And I think they rigged kid up with hydrogen in that one. Yeah, they did. but it was, uh, it was kind of the same, same plot where they're doing a race from California to Mexico, kind of Baja style. And, there's these, you know, experimental fuels in the in the different cars. I can't remember what exactly. Uh, what Dan, I think Dan was in the race. He was. And Tess and uh, Daisy were kind of falling behind in the the trailer. They were, you know, essentially they would race all day and take a pit stop overnight, and you know they were there to help Dan. But it was about this guy, and they're they're. They're doing the race, but they're also 
there because they there's this like stolen computer program that uh, this guy's trying to smuggle out of the country, and they're trying to figure out which person it is in there. And I'll give away a little bit of this, uh, some spoilers here, but he was actually one of the mechanics, and he hides this microchip in this video game, like a portable arcade video game, mm-hmm. to uh, Daisy, and she's playing it as they're taking this road trip, and she's the one that actually sneaks it across the border, you know, without her knowledge. Um, and they finally uncover all of that at the end and get this guy. But I don't know. I like that. And thinking about Knight Rider, that kind of helped me with this episode too. But it was a good, uh, good plot for an episode and it moved along nicely as well and got the racing, you know, aspect of it. And you also got the mystery aspect of it on the same episode. So that was, uh, that was a good one that I really liked. Did you come up with any that were kind of the bottom of the list for you? I think the number three where the chicken is supposed to be oh, yeah. the episode Chicken Who Knew Too Much. <laughs> that was the worst one for me, too. It was okay, but you got the, towards the beginning, got the guy that is after the chicken for some reason. They know they have to get the chicken, but they don't know why they have to get the chicken. At least that's how I took it. Then the guy fumbles it, and the chicken runs into a chicken truck. So they essentially lose the chicken in the mix, and we later find out that he's the key to get into this, what appears to be a very elaborately guarded mountain, but here you play a tune, and you basically shove the chicken in this hole, because it's too small for your hand, I guess, and the chicken repeats the tune on this little keypad. I'm like, are you really serious? That's how you do this? It was so ridiculous. That one, to me, was uh, one of the... That was my panda power right there. Oh, yeah. It was It was just plain dumb, is what I wrote down in my notes. You know, the whole episode is just chasing down this chicken. Yep. And, I don't know, the technology behind getting into this mountain to find this treasure was like, really? All right, so this guy taught this chicken this pattern to peck out. And the chicken knew to do it once he got thrown in this hall where you couldn't get to, you know, and human couldn't get to. To I don't know. It was ridiculous. Right. Um, well, back to your episode five there. Uh-huh. Uh, I took a couple of notes, and, and the video game that they're using reminded mm-hmm. me of one of my old games I still can't find. I had this as a kid from my old Texas Instruments computer. It was called, I think, the call. it was just called the Tank Game. And I saw it. I'm like, this, this is the game I used to have, I think. But I always thought it was very – but the whole episode was very good. You could make out there was a stingray. Yes. Legit stingray in the cartoon. They had great animation artists there. There was an old 70s, like a 77, 78 Firebird. And I was I was really impressed at how, how much detail they put into this. The only mistake I did see in that whole episode was when Rhodey is going, I think, across the border – they skew the the paint scheme, and he turns orange and red like wheels. Oh, really? Yeah. But that was I the only thing. That, that. It was still a really impressive episode. No, I did enjoy that one. The other one that just kind of got under my fingernails there was the episode 9, Dial M for Magic. And it was essentially this modern-day take on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They have this evil magician who is uh, under control of this town 
and he's got them essentially locked up underground mining for gold. And the guy, like, uh, I guess is kind of tricking them that they're trapped down there, keeping them frightened with this uh, demon or something that appears. But I don't know. It just seemed a little hokey. And then, you know, they get there, they rescue the people, and he flees. Well, all of their toils and everything is basically attributed to one little sack of gold. So he's <laughs> he's fleeing town, you know, like Santa Claus in a Mercedes and <laughs> this sack of gold over his shoulder. And he, I think he ends up wrecking his car and they get him. I mean, it's it was really, really hokey. And, I, well, it was before Temple of Doom, as I'm sure this race was kind of before Knight Rider. I don't know. Knight Rider came out in, what, 82? Yeah. So it it could have been after that one. I don't know what season that was. But anyway, I don't know. It just felt, it felt a little too much like Temple of Doom and the way that that whole thing went down uh, in the episode. So that was my least favorite. It was mixed, I, very much like you. The only thing I liked about it, though, it felt like they went all out and found every little gadget from Knight Rider. They had the ejector seats. Uh, they had the ski mode. You'd see them replacing, like, a circuit car, which is what Michael did on one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was just the, they had the, the teddy bear, like the teddy bear episode on Kit, where they there's something the teddy bear is being annoying, so Kit pushes the ejector button and you know. <laughs> so I liked it. This is also when I started noticing. I'm sure it happened earlier, but this is when I started noticing that Rhodey's doors, anytime they open and shut, they hissed just like Airwolf. Okay. So I saw the Airwolf assimilate right or assimilate right there. That's probably the biggest takes I, uh, out of the whole series. That's probably what I got, like you. Well, let's go over kind of our overall likes and dislikes, and we'll get our final take on the on the series. So uh, just kind of go through some of the things that, that stuck out for you overall. It seemed like they were really competing for the niche between Knight Rider and their own. But it, I guess in that role, I, I guess they were trying to get a, their foothold, just like any other show of the day, you know, they're trying to get that foothold in their niche. So I saw that. I did see that they had a lot of, like you noticed, that they're, they weren't so much on the shoot 'em up the attacking, so to speak. They were more into, well, like you said, the, the peril, they, a little bit of suspense, but nothing too over the edge like some other cartoons were doing. So I... I did note that, that that was pretty impressive that they – it's like someone was reading – not that they had forums or anything like that back in the day, but they were reading something to tone it down, I think. Right. Um, the kind of backstory was the other thing that I peeled out of this, mm-hmm. and you didn't learn about it until – what was it? 10, episode 10, yeah, I think? Episode 10 is when they – you got like a like a hint of it there, yeah. so they didn't really. And again, this is going into the maybe over analyzing part of reviewing a cartoon series thirty five years later. But it's just you're not going to go too much into the death of kids' parents 
in a Saturday morning show. But that's why I was looking for more of, I want to hear some of the backstory. I want to get some flashbacks or something if we can. But they just kind of hinted about it there in episode 10 when uh, they're taking Tess back to be the the queen and they're at their home, I guess, when their parents were alive. And Tess asks uh, Daisy if she's okay when she sees the house. And there's like a little sniffle moment there. But that's really all you got. You really didn't get too much of what their life was like when their parents were still around. Right. And you just got it hinted there. So... That's really the biggest uh, of all the takeaways that I, I wrote down. What did you okay. write down? Well, I, like I said, going into this, I had not really remembered much about the show. So I did like that you could remove Rodian wheels from the cars. I had totally forgot that they were portable. I liked that they used uh, real-world settings when they were you know, going from episode to episode. There's a, an episode near Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And there's one in Alcatraz. So they're using, you know, real life settings and not just, uh, not always like this, uh, the one that I didn't like was kind of this town in the middle of nowhere where those people were trapped underground. So that I did like. They, they added in some of that. Um, one thing that I did like that I thought was unique. And I know there was little bumpers here and there for, TV shows and, and what's coming up, you know, on the next whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, each one of the episodes that I watched, you got a teaser right before the intro. Yeah. And it gave you a, like a little synopsis. You got some of the danger scenes, you know, what was coming up in the episode. And they really teased it well. And they used mainly, I think, the voices of the cars when they were doing the teasing. But I, I don't know. I thought that was really unique that they added that in there. And whether that was the way that they did it, you know, each Saturday morning they, they played that teaser or if they put that teaser in somewhere else, you know, for the programming, uh, I don't remember. I don't know. But I like that we got that at the beginning. So you're like, oh, this is going to be a good episode or, uh, I don't know, this might suck. <laughs> Right. <laughs> when you're going back and watching it now. One thing, uh, there's a couple things that I would say I didn't like. And I, I don't know. I felt like the front uh, for the stunt show wasn't really, I don't know. It didn't like, it was like it didn't hold up. No. Because Dan, I don't know, he was real loose about you know if a girl came up to him he was going to tell him pretty much everything that was going on so he could kind of show off and uh, the villains you know they seemed to know about pole position and what they were all about but in the intro you you know you are the secret force of pole position well there wasn't much secret about it (laughs) at least it seemed that way to me i don't know they there was some (laughs) there were some moments where i felt like they're in the middle of the stunt show and it might be still going on or something. And they just kind of take off on a mission. So they're kind of leaving a packed house at the stunt show. And Mm -hmm. that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't fly over very well with people and, uh, you know, paying money and then taking off and what are, Hey, where are these guys going? (laughs) So it's like they weren't holding up the front very well throughout there. And then, 
One thing I did notice as well that just kind of bugged me is in some of the episodes, the cars were just drawn different. And I can understand, like, as far as Wheels' doors, you know, her, that are like the fold-up. They're not really gullwing, but they come out like gullwing doors, and then they kind of fold up. To oh, a, you mean roadies, yeah. Or roadie, I'm sorry. It was, I, I don't know, there were some positions where it was drawn well, and then there were some other positions where they're almost like, too skinny to be doors. Yeah. Like, what happened here? So that way it, it was kind of difficult. So I didn't really, you know, I wouldn't say oh, I'm not going to watch this show because they suck at drawing the doors on the car, but it was just kind of weird so that some shots, they were wider and some, they were skinnier was kind of inconsistent throughout on some of that. But again, like we mentioned at the beginning and the reason why they won the Emmy the sound mixing was great, and mm-hmm. lots of great sound effects. I really liked all the features on the cars. It was almost like Kit, where it was, well, what do we need in this episode? Uh, well, somebody's falling off a cliff. Well, let's you know, give them the front winch out of the front so we can save them. Or we need a parachute, or we need a yep. whatever. We need a the ski mode or the hover mode, or <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of like we got an answer for everything. I have an answer by watching Knight Rider. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, what was the old uh, the commercial for Office Depot where they had the button? We got that or something. I can't remember what it said. Oh, anyway. easy button. The easy button, yeah. They, it's like each car had the easy button. And uh, we'll just push that and uh, we, we got anything you need. So anyway, so I think that's going to about do it for our our take on pole position. And one thing I want to do, I guess, as a uh, closing uh, remark on each of these rediscovered podcasts, let's uh, give the listeners a recommendation either to go back and rediscover uh, what we're, you know, reviewing, or should we just recommend that they leave it in the past? So what would you say about pole position? I'll very happily rediscover it. It was actually a fun series. Easy for the kids if they would sit down and watch it. Something your kids could easily enjoy. I'm trying to get my boys interested. It's hard because they're so captivated by the new, all the new stuff. But I still reel it out. I still bring out Alf even. And I'll show them the good episodes, like the Mamakium hiccups or something like that. It's hilarious. So, uh, but yeah, that, this is a good one. This is a good one. What about, what about you? What's your judgment? I would say go ahead, yeah, go ahead and go back and rediscover it. It would be one to, if you get it on a good deal, get those 10 episodes in your DVD collection and, and break one out every once in a while. Or um, if you do go back to YouTube a lot and, and try to find some old shows to watch, I'd put this in the mix. And, uh, you know, like we said, there's some good episodes, there's some poor ones, but... I don't know. I, I think it's worth going back and just for, like we've been saying, the cars. The cars are really fun. If you've got a thing for those uh, Hollywood cars and, and all of that. I, I was thinking, too, I wish they would have made toys out of the show. Oh, yeah. I don't think they ever did, but uh, it would be fun to have a, a roadie and a wheels car and even even the uh, the rig. 
Oh yeah, uh, that was a pretty cool design too. I like the rig, but uh, something that uh, we just never got was you know toys based on the show. No. And uh, had we, I probably would have gone back and seen if I could snag some. I'm sure but, you would uh, too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think that's a, a solid go rediscover from both of us. And uh, I, I think you'll enjoy most of the episodes of Paul Position if you have not watched it or don't remember watching it uh, in the last <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> But we are, one thing I do want to do, Wyatt, and uh, as far as what we're going to be choosing next, we have kind of kept it a mystery that we're going to reveal closer to when we're ready to actually upload the podcast of what the next topic is going to be. But I think I would like to do a rotation. So we did a TV show first, and now we did an animated series. So next, let's go ahead and do a movie. And... We'll kind of do that style of rotation. And we're still open to requests if there's something that, you know, you've rediscovered recently and thought it was good and something that we would be good to review on this show. Please let us know and we'll definitely uh, get it in the mix and it might already be on our list that we've started. But uh, I thought that would be fun to at least do it that way instead of trying to hash out and go through the long list of stuff that we want to go back and watch. Right. And uh, the big caveat is if we can get to see it, because right, right. if it, if we can buy it reasonably cheap or if we can YouTube it or one of the streaming devices, if we can get to it and watch it, we'll gladly watch whether what's either on our list or what you present to us as ideas, because we'll gladly watch it. But if we can't get to it, We'll probably check it off as, well, when it comes around, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Although, so, I am uh-huh. going to do a plug here. I have recently found an app. It's called Tubi, T-U-B-I. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of older stuff that's on there that seems to stick on there. Obviously, Alf comes to mind. That's on there. There's older shows that I think Netflix or even Hulu probably drop. And I don't know if 2B is like a subsidiary or if it's a one-off that they're, hmm. well, they're not going to carry it. We are. We'll go, yeah. we're go, we'll be the Nick at night for streaming. I don't know, but it's, I'm seeing a lot more stuff show up. Oh, and okay. Cool. So movies included. Yeah. I, I look on YouTube. There's a, that Vimeo site that's mm-hmm. kind of like a YouTube light. <laughs> it seems like they let a lot more go. As far as uh, uh, licensing and all that uh, on Vimeo, so I'm looking over there as well, and we'll put Tubi in the mix then to uh, to check. But yeah, a lot of these shows, I don't know if we're going to be able to to get to them or not. But it, and if it's something that we both want in our collection, we will go out and and grab it. But oh yeah, the uh, the next movie that we've chosen actually we have found on YouTube, and I actually found a copy, a DVD copy of it. In Ollie's of all places for 50 cents. <laughs> it was on like a, uh, 80s compilation desk. It was more news stories and stuff, but it did have this movie and then it had the pilot episode of 21 Jump Street. So I thought for 50 cents, that was worth it right there. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so we will, uh, we'll reveal that soon. As we uh, watch and take notes and, and review the movie, 
and uh, probably be a, a, a little shorter of a podcast to do a movie versus like, you know, nine or 13 or whatever, however many episodes of a TV show. But right. I don't know. We like to jabber. We do. <laughs> <laughs> it's never our intention, but we seem to just jabber and go off on different tangents, it seems. Yeah. But anyway, we uh, we appreciate you listening to the Rediscovered Ladies podcast and particularly to Rediscovered. And uh, we will look forward to reviewing another one on our list the next time. So uh, thanks as always, buddy, for joining me. Anytime, and thank you all for watching and listening to us. Please, like you said, visit Rediscover the 80s, put your suggestions or even comments about the episodes, and uh, we'll see you again on another episode of Rediscovered. Thanks for listening to Rediscovered, right here on the Rediscover the 80s podcast feed. Find our show notes on rediscoverthe80s.com. And watch our recording sessions on the Rediscover the 80s YouTube channel. Theme music provided by Bart Graft. Visit bartgraft.bandcamp.com for more retro wave music. Join us again next time as we review more TV, movies, and animation from the 80s right here on Rediscovered. Rediscovered.